Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and of course, we have Eric Prima in the studio once again. Always Uh, great to sit straight across from you while we're doing these live shows. It's fun. Yes, it really is, and it's great to be back in the studio. Now, who who do you talk to today on today's show? Well, you know, I have uh, several individuals, and I'm quite excited about uh, who I've had. As a matter of fact, I think this is going to be the best show in the history of radio. All right. Okay, so... um, Starting out with Pat Cashman and Lisa Foster, they have a wonderful broadcast that's called Peculiar Podcast, and it, uh, they've been doing it since 2012, and I didn't know that, but um, I've talked to Pat about his show, and I said, can I use some snippets uh, of your show on mine? And he said, go for it. Nice. So that's what I'm going to do, start doing that today, and uh, what I did a little snippet of a show we had, I think on... September 8th, and uh, it's about camping, and he talks about his experience <laughs> in camping, and I won't say anything. Now you'll just have to hear what he has to say. Nice. I also talked to a gentleman by the name of Jason Reed, and uh, he's with ESPN, and uh, he wrote a book called Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. Pretty incredible read, and also he had some really interesting things to say, and I grew up at a time where, um, remember, University of Washington quarterback Warren Moon. Yes. Took the Huskies to the Rose Bowl. Then they won the Rose Bowl over Michigan. Major, major win. And uh, he was the Pac-8 or 10. I can't remember if it was 10 or 8 then. But um, co-player of the year. He didn't get drafted in the NFL. Unbelievable. That's why he went up to Canada and played football in Canada. So that's some of the things. And he brought that up, actually, and, and that's in his book as well. Voices in History. Um, have some fun little tidbits today. On September 13, 2004, looking back at that era, Oprah Winfrey pulled off the greatest promotional stunt in history. And that's judged by several media gurus. And I'll keep you guessing as to what that was. Okay. Maybe you know, but uh, there it is. Also, later in the program, we're going to have Keith Bacon. And he is the a uh, podcaster from West Seattle. He has a show called Always West Seattle. I'm a West Seattleite, and this Sunday, the West Seattle Bridge is opening up, and it's been two years. Wow. He started his podcast in March of 2020. That month, two things happened. First, the pandemic. Yeah. Secondly, the West Seattle Bridge went out. So I'm going to do just kind of a interview with uh, someone who's a lot of interviews, What's the mood of West Seattle? What are they thinking right now? I know they're ecstatic, but there is some surprises about some attitudes that I've run into as well. So uh, one final thing, the um, one-hit wonder for today. These singers would agree that they stumbled into a top four song by mistake. Hmm. So that's what they have. Eric, what are you doing today? Well, Paul, I'm happy to announce that I'm speaking with Amber Smith. She's with the Department of Ecology. And we're going to be talking about uh, something that's become a real eyesore on our highways and byways, and that's litter. And what the Department of Ecology is doing. Actually, you've probably heard a bunch of announcements on local news today and yesterday about this program. Because the end goal is to clean up the streets, so to speak. And so uh, I'll speak with her for about 12 minutes on their initiative and what they're going to do and how they're going to get it done. Eric, I know you're dying to ask me this question because we talked about this before. I totally am. And you are just going to jump 
out of your chair to ask me this question again, and it is what I said to you. I believe that this last weekend was the most successful sports weekend in Seattle and the state of Washington's history. Now, you say that with such conviction, but that's a bold statement. Yes, and we'll find out. There could be people calling in at some point disagreeing, but I'll lay it out. Okay. Okay, here it is. Cougars went on the road in Wisconsin. Huge. If you're a Cougar fan, and a lot of people are, especially if you went there, including myself, Huskies won an easy game against Portland State. People say, well, they should have won. Well, you should have won, and they did. Yes. Lopsided win for them. Their big test is this weekend. Now, when I start out with this premise is that my judgment on this starts in 1976 and going forward, because before that time, we didn't have the Seattle Seahawks. That's true. Or the Seattle Mariners. So this is 1976 on, to be fair. Now, what happened um, on Sunday afternoon? The Mariners had this incredible comeback against Atlanta. They were up six to two in the top of the ninth. Atlanta scores five runs in the excuse me, yeah, in the top of the ninth. Mm-hmm. Mariners down seven to six, two home runs right in a row, and uh, Cerez and Rodriguez they win the game, <laughs> going away. And this is the World Series champions. They take two out of three, and then of course Monday Night Football. Yeah. Um, you know, Wilson returns, win the game 17-16. So there is my premise. You know, when you put it all together, it makes perfect sense. Uh, it was a huge weekend, and hopefully it's, a, what do they say, a bellwether of things to come. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to watch the Mariners, too. I mean, there's a lot of buzz about that. There's also, of course, a huge buzz about uh, the Hawks and your team, the Cougs. Yeah, so yeah. hopefully that will continue, too. Um, I'm doing something that Jim Day always told me not to do, but I'm going to violate it. Okay. Mariners are up six to nothing right now over San Diego. I went to the game last night. It was two nothing. They lost, but they're up six nothing now. I don't want to jinx them. The reason I say that, Jim will say, "Well, go over and listen to the game now." Well, and, and people have no reason to tune away now. No, because, because we're going to give them sports scores. Right. We'll, we'll <laughs> update them as it goes along. Uh, yeah, so sure. that's fair. All Thank right. You. So uh, let's get to Pat Cashman and Lisa Foster coming up in just a moment. Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos, she instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos. At KW.com. Well, coming up in just a moment, I want to introduce again Pat Cashman and Lisa Foster. They uh, co-host a uh, podcast called Peculiar Bro- Broadcast. Peculiar. See, they got to change that name. I can't say it. Peculiar it's a tough one, really. Podcast. I keep practicing. I'm not going to Peculiar that. podcast. That's a Peculiar tough one. podcast. So anyhow, um, now Pat Cashman, I think, was really one of the cast members. Well, he was the cast member, but one of the most successful, if not most successful, show in the history of local television, and that was Almost Live. Mm-hmm. Now he's off doing some great things like this podcast, and uh, he's done a lot of things since that time. But uh, again, I asked him if I could take some of his clips. 
And this one is about camping. Again, this aired on September 8th, 2022, so not long ago. And this is Pat Cashman and Lisa Foster. My thing, whenever I'm camping, I look around and there's kids screaming, there's dogs barking, there's people talking way too loud. There's, uh, you know, people chopping wood and banging on stuff. And I'm thinking, what, what, isn't the idea of camping you get out to the quietude of nature and and it's peaceful and it's relaxing? Instead, there's just cacophony all the time. And, uh, and uh, you know, these, these people that are getting drunk for the most part and getting louder and louder as the night comes. The whole thing never made sense to me. And yet... Clearly, clearly you've camped next to me before because that's exactly, those are all the things that I do. <laughs> and people like it. They like it. There was this couple in a campsite next to us and I kept looking over at them and they'd just be sitting in their lawn chairs looking out into the lake and some trees. They didn't pick up a book. They didn't uh, listen to music. They didn't seem even to talk to each other. They just kept looking and looking and staring. Well, and sitting. Wait a minute. You're making that sound like I think that's a good thing to just sit and do not. We 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 feel compelled to always be doing something. Oh, I know. No, I know and you're some, right. And sometimes it's very centering to just be contemplative. All yeah. of it. Yeah, I know. And sit and shut up and quit doing. No, it's I very know. Healthy for you. I, I I know you're what you're saying is exactly right, and it and it speaks more to my lack of ability to just turn it off and be relaxed, uh, contemplate, uh, you know, do a little uh, meditation, you know, and mm -hmm. just enjoy nature and the, mm -hmm. and the birds and the, and, the, and the wild bears that are coming to eat you. <laughs> why, why can't I just sit there and enjoy that? <laughs> but no, all I can do is keep checking my watch and thinking, okay, all right, just two more hours, two more hours to go. <laughs> and there's nothing oh. to admire about that. I, I get it, but here's the now, other thing. Here's guys, the other thing. No, hold on before you say that. Do you yeah. guys do a, like, a, do you cook, like, do you like have a cook, like a cookout and barbecue yeah. stuff? Or do you bring, or do you bring all pre-made stuff so that the cooking's not a big deal? No, we had a very successful, uh, ever had hobo, pot, oh. what do they call it? Hobo stew yeah. or hobo pie yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's just a melange of stuff that you dump into a tinfoil wrapper. Put it on the campfire. Yeah, you put carrots in there and celery and and, uh, and sausage or, or other some other kind of meat. Uh, and it's good. It's really good. And it made, I asked my wife, why don't we just have this at home? This is good. <laughs> it's not just because we're out camping that it's good. It, 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 it's actually very tasty. I don't know. I don't think it would be. That's the thing. It's yeah, good. Because you are camping, and you know you can't just go to Denny's if it sucks. You, and so you just go, well, this is going to be good, and you're in the wilderness, and it's good. Yeah, yeah. And I said, at one point, I said to my wife, hey, look, why don't we have some s'mores? She said, great. I've got everything we need for s'mores except the graham crackers and the marshmallows. <laughs> said, so we just ate the chocolate. <laughs> Did you put it on a stick? Put it over the fire. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't. We oh, didn't go to well, that tour. So, that but sounds here, lovely. But here's here's the thing, Lisa. Quite seriously, I, like I said at the outset, I'm not built for camping. I don't have any skills. If I was the, if I was the, the typical example of the human male, uh, mm -hmm. when our country was being explored, 
Uh, we technically, if every guy was like me instead of Lewis and Clark, we would maybe have pushed as far west as uh, eastern Ohio. That's, we wouldn't know about all of this California, Colorado, Oregon, Washington business. You would just stop and go, enough, we're yeah, done. I, I can't go any further. Until <laughs> until the future when someone builds a highway. I'm, I'm not taking this covered. Are you out of your mind? A covered wagon? Look at this piece of it's got wooden wheels on it. They're breaking all the time. And the guy running the chuck wagon, that stuff tastes like <laughs> So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not into it. Thank you. I'll stay here. Call me if when somebody invents the phone, call me. And then uh, we'll, we'll see about going f- further west. But otherwise, I'm staying right here. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. And because I can't I do anything, you. Lisa, I don't have any skills. You can. Pat, you are a lumberjack. You can do stuff. You're just lazy like a me. Lumberjack, you, don't want me? To, you don't want to do it. Yeah, you used, a- to fell, you used to fell trees. That's a little slice <laughs> of uh, the uh, podcast with uh, Pat Cashman and Lisa Foster. And if you want to Listen to all his podcasts. I say they date back to 2012. You can uh, just uh, Google Pat Cashman podcasts. It's easier for me to say that than peculiar. <laughs> I think peculiar podcast. Peculiar podcast. Right. So anyhow, what do you think? I'm I'm I camp for a while, but I'm kind yeah. of on Pat Cashman's. Uh, I go back and forth, honestly. Uh, So growing up, large family, we didn't have a lot of money. So camping to us was a trip. I mean, it was our trip. We didn't go to Disneyland. You went to like Lake Wenatchee. And and everything he was saying is so true. Uh, All those things and more happen when you go camping. It's almost like Lord of the Flies out there. You know, and then you pack, you do it for a weekend, and then it's you're back to sort of civilization. Uh, But I always thought about my my dad in this situation, because all he wanted to do is get away from work and the kids and all that. And then he's got to go set up a tent, get the fire going, get the food and all that stuff. So he's working as hard on the weekend as he was, you know, during his week work week. So it it actually ended up a lot of those would melt down into just kids crying and <laughs> get in the car and rain and all that stuff. So well, see, my dad wasn't a camper, so whatever we did, we kind of did as we grew older. But my dad was from Boston, and okay. Heck, you know, he, I don't think he ever touched a screwdriver. I mean, let alone. <laughs> You know, go out camping on the weekend. It just did not fit. I mean, he'd be wearing his wingtip shoes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we did it more. I remember one time when we went, uh, my brothers and I, and we were at somewhere north, uh, you know, up in the peninsula area. We got to camp and we always kind of get into discussions and we get loud. And I remember uh, we got into a place at eight at night. It was dark. And then we were doing our thing to about 11. We woke up the next morning. There were just, you know, campers all around us. And I don't know why <laughs> they, they didn't from? say, shut your mouth or something. It was incredible, but we felt like idiots and we got out of there, you know. We felt, <laughs> you know. Anyhow, um, camping. I just thought that was a pretty good take on it. So again, that is uh, That's funny. Uh, a good, uh, kind of a good thing you'll see. But you also will get some serious discussions on issues. As a matter of fact, on one, a, a recent podcast, Lisa Foster Talked about um, some of her issues she's dealing with anxiety-wise. Hmm. And so it, it isn't all just fun and games. They do sure. some really good balanced stuff. So anyhow. Well, they, Cash, they have a really good rapport. Yeah. Didn't you, didn't you feel that? Yeah. That's what I really enjoy. And, and 
part of it is they've been doing radio together for a long, long time, and it came across. So anyhow, that's where we're at right now with uh, Pat Cashman. And again, you can just Google Pat Cashman podcast and go from there. So coming up, we're going to be talking to a gentleman who wrote a book on football and uh, just the state of it, ESPN um, broadcaster, and looking forward to hearing that. Jason Reed, senior writer for Anscape, ESPN's platform which explores the intersection of sports, race, and culture, is my guest. He's written a new book called Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. Let's get right to it. I want to start with uh, Colin Kaepernick. Is that I just looked up a few hours ago that when he took a knee and, or sat down in the first time, that's like six years ago now. And with the benefit of history, looking back on that, the impact it had in the NFL then, and now looking to the future and the present, I guess, is what impact do you think it still continues to have? Oh, it, it, it's had an, it had an enormous impact and still continues to have an enormous impact. You know, the NFL had never been put in that position where a, a player, a, a starting player and, a, and an accomplished player at the most important position quarterback took a stand on social justice issues. I mean, this is just not something that the league had ever had to deal with. And then the, the, the quarterback in question being black, that brought a whole nother level of scrutiny, scrutiny and things that the league just you know wasn't prepared for. The, the league was just... They just were not prepared for what Colin Kaepernick did. And he inspired a movement within the league and the owners had to deal with issues that they didn't want to deal with. I mean, at a certain point, the NFL was 70% African-American in terms of players. It's now, I think, about 58.9 or 58.7. So the, the on-field workforce, the players are overwhelmingly black and they come from you know different communities, but they come from you know communities often where there are issues that the NFL did not want to touch in terms of systemic oppression and police brutality. And Kaepernick put the league in a position where it could not ignore these issues. And, you know, a lot of the polling about Kaepernick's protest breaks down along racial lines. Black people, in general, generally speaking, according to polls, supported what Kaepernick did, and white people generally according to polls, did not support it. They did, they did not believe that, that, he, that this was the right venue to, to protest, and they did not appreciate what he was protesting against. So the league was in this position where its corporate partners and many of its fans were very upset. And what Kaepernick did was he, he uh, initially, and then other players as, as the movement grew, forced the league to come to the table and say, all right, there's all this money that's being generated, you know, off of players playing. Well, what is the league going to do to help us address issues in our communities? Because we're the ones who are making you all this money. And the league did have to come to the table and it, and it did have to talk about these things. And, you know, out of, out of the movement, you see the league all of a sudden started funding social justice issues. And then as we fast forward years later, younger players a few years back, after the killing of George Floyd, put out a video saying, we need the NFL to do even more now in terms of social justice. And 
Commissioner Roger Goodell actually said on video, Black Lives Matter, which was very controversial. So, you know, you, you bring up Kaepernick and, and, and the time period that we're talking about, the time that's passed, you know, he started this. And you can, we can debate about his form of protest and, and where you come down on the issues he was protesting about, but there's, it's undeniable that Colin Kaepernick has had a major impact on the NFL. Would you put it at the level of like uh, Martin Luther King's "I Have a Dream" speech? Well, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go there. I, I think that in terms of Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement in, in, in the nineteen in the late fifties and the nineteen sixties, there, there there are differences in terms of you know Kaepernick was standing on the shoulders of all of the pioneers, all of the pioneers for social justice who came before him. And you know, Kaepernick didn't start the, the, the social justice movement. He, he lit a fire in the NFL. He ignited something in the NFL. But you know, social justice um, and, and the, the, the push for equality in this country have been going on for a very, very long time. So I don't look at him as being on the same level as a Martin Luther King. But I also don't want to, you know, in any way to, to make it sound like I'm disparaging him or what he did, because he had a monumental impact. Okay, and and it wasn't just in the NFL. I mean, he ignited a movement in the country in 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 sports. I mean, if you remember, at one time, uh, you know, youth players were kneeling, and and high school players were kneeling, and college players, and and what he did do was he forced people. He put it it, he put it in a situation where people could not ignore these issues that. He made it front of mind, and a lot of people didn't want it to be front of mind, but he did do that. You know, Martin Luther King, um, you know, Malcolm X, wherever you come down on, on, on their brand of social justice and their brand of protest, the reality of it is that what they were doing was saying there is injustice and we have to fight it. And Kaepernick was saying, hey, look, there's still systemic oppression. There's still police brutality, and I want to draw attention to it. And he was willing to risk his career to stand on principle. And I don't know how many people can say that they would be willing to do that. Do you think he'll ever play again? I know he was up here trying out for the Seahawks. And and if if not, is there still this arena that this guy is toxic and we don't want him on the team per se? Or maybe, or is it maybe that his playing days are over? You know, I wrote back in 2016 or 2017 that we've seen the last of Colin Kaepernick as an NFL player. And that was before he filed a collusion grievance against the league, uh, which was settled. I, I just thought that because of what he did and the anger of team owners, because he threatened their business model, this business model that just, that just continued to produce record profits, you know, year after year, I did not think he would ever play in the NFL again because of the anger of club owners toward him. You know, quarterbacks, they're the the most celebrated players in the game. They make the most money. They're the de facto partners of team owners, a franchise quarterback. And Kaepernick, because of what he did, he put the NFL in a difficult position. So I I never thought he would play in the league again. And, you know, the reality of it is there was no credible argument from a football standpoint, why he hasn't been in the league the last five years. Is he the best quarterback in the NFL? No, he was not the best quarterback. But he was more than good enough to be on a roster. We can have a discussion about how many teams Colin Colin Kaepernick can start for. We can have a discussion about whether or not Colin Kaepernick is is a guy who could get it to who could win a Super Bowl. He he helps the team reach a Super Bowl, I have to add. But we can have a discussion about whether he could win a Super Bowl. 
But we can't have a discussion, at least not a credible discussion with me, that he wasn't good enough to be on an NFL roster. And now the issue is, I also believe, Kaepernick is, is, is not just a sports icon. He's a global icon. He's a global icon about the, about the pursuit of justice. And if he were to ever join another NFL team, any issue relating to social justice, uh, interaction, interactions between law enforcement and black and brown communities, and a whole, host, a whole myriad of other issues, reporters, not just sports writers, but reporters from, from all parts of the, of the newspaper, so to speak, in all different sections, would descend on that team. And I do believe that team owners do not want to deal with global icon, the global icon status of Colin Kaepernick and what that could mean in terms of having people come to their facilities to report on stories and, you know, potentially angering other players that all these, that all these media people are around. I mean, you know, that seems to, that could seem to be a very frivolous thing to some people like, well, wait, you keep them out of the league. For that reason, I said, no, the main reason I think he's kept out of the league is his owners are still angry that he threatened their business model. But I do think there are other issues that owners have as well. Your book is called The Rise of the Black Quarterback, and the subtitle is What It Means for America. What does it mean for America? Well, quarterback is a uniquely American leadership position. In corporate America, if you're the person leading a team on a, on a major project for a corporation, you're the quarterback of that team. If you're going in for surgery or some medical procedure, your doctor is your quarterback. He's the one that has to get you through this thing. When we talk about quarterback and we talk about masculinity and, and, and excellence and achievement, the quarterback represents all those things in American culture. The quarterback is the best and the brightest. So if black men are excluded from playing quarterback in the most popular and successful and powerful professional sports league in the history of the world, that says something about the ability of black men writ large in America. So what we see is the rise of the black quarterback, we see that it coincides with the rise of black people in this country once they were given opportunities. We see that, that if, if there are black faces at a position that was once the exclusive domain of white people and white people who white men who were celebrated as being the best that if the, if if that face changes and there are more people who look like other people other people being you know black players in the league uh, you know you, you know black kids growing up it shows that if opportunity is given anyone can achieve. Thinking locally Warren Moon was a quarterback at the University of Washington led them to the Rose Bowl in 1978, beat Michigan in a major upset. But he found he had to go play football in Canada to stay as a quarterback and then come back. One of the things about Warren Moon, is, and I, I have to thank him for giving me a lot of time for the book, you know, Warren Moon was the, the, the Pacific 8 Conference co-player of the year. It's now the Pacific 12 Conference, as I'm sure many of your listeners know. It, it, well, we hope it remains that today. way, by the way, with the way things have happened. Well, but that's well, another subject, well, another time. Right, but right, we'll talk yeah, about that. I right, would like to talk to you about that, by the way. But please yeah, go that, ahead. That, that's, a matter for, yeah. Yeah, that's a matter for another day. But it's unheard of that a, that a player who helped the team win a, the, the prestigious Rose Bowl and was the conference's co-player of the year would go undrafted in, in, in the NFL, a player playing in a major conference. If Warren Moon had been drafted and, and, and gone to the NFL and not had to go to Canada for, for many years, 
he may own every record there is in, in, in the record book right now. That, that's how good he, he proved that he was once he finally got the opportunity. But he didn't get the opportunity for several years. He didn't get the opportunity right out of college. Because even in 1978, when he was entering the NFL draft, it was still uncommon for black men to be able to play quarterback in the NFL. So today's fans, you know, younger fans, this is not something that is, you know, surprising them because, yeah, you know, for many years now, we've had some superstar black quarterbacks. And now we have more superstar black quarterbacks than ever before. But there was a time not too long ago when it was very uncommon and, and, and just completely you wouldn't see it at all, a black quarterback starting and thriving in the NFL. What would you like people to take away from your book after they read it? Well, you know, when I, when I set out to do this thing, I didn't want to write just a football book. I mean, I love, I'm an NFL writer. I've been covering the NFL for many years now. But I, I didn't want it to be just a book about, oh, this guy is a great quarterback and he throws great passes and he wins games. I wanted it to be more about the history of the NFL, the, the history of black players in the most popular league that we've ever seen. And I wanted to tell a story of, of, of how these players went from being among the most marginalized to among the most celebrated. So, you know, when people read this book, I'd like them to come to it with an open mind. Cause a lot of times when you write about race, some people just, oh, I don't want to hear about that stuff, but there's a story here and it's an important story. And it's a story, not just about the NFL, but about America as well. And I hope people will come to it with an open mind. And if they read the book, I hope that they'll you know, walk away with an understanding of some things that they thought they knew, but maybe learned a lot more and maybe have a different appreciation and, different, and a different outlook. My thanks to Jason Reed. And again, the book is called The Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. If you'd like to get a copy of the book, all you need to do is Google Jason Reed, Black Quarterback. And Reed is spelled R-E-I-D, R-E-I-D, Jason Reed, Black Quarterback. Just Google that and you will find out how you can get a copy of his book. All right, it's the bottom of the seventh I sound like I'm doing Mariner play-by-play, but uh, we're not. Just giving you an updated score. Six to one, Seattle in the bottom of the seventh. All All right. right. So, voices in history for today, Eric. Um, I've got uh, a few of them and just want to uh, jump into them right now. In 1990, I remember this well, the Mercer Island Bridge was closed for repairs. Construction workers punched giant holes in the pontoons that kept... It afloat and went home for the weekend. I think it was Thanksgiving weekend. I can't be sure of that. A few days later, rain, high winds filled the pontoons with water, and the bridge broke apart and sank. I remember watching it yep. sink all afternoon. There was a windstorm. I can't imagine that guy's Thanksgiving who was in charge of that project must have been kind of ruined. <laughs> yeah, I, probably... I mean, can you imagine getting that call? Hi, i got to get the call. Oh, I'm eating dinner. No, you may, you may want to get this. Yeah, so, your bridge is sinking. Yeah, your bridge. I'm on it. Bad day. So anyhow, that happened, um, you know, in 1990. And uh, since we're talking bridges today, thought I'd bring that up because yep. we're going to be talking about the West Seattle Bridge shortly coming up. On September 13th, 2004, Oprah Winfrey gave a brand new Pontiac G6 sedan that cost $28,500 a piece to everyone in the studio audience, gave away a total of 276 cars. There were screaming, 
crying, fainting, and a media expert said this was the greatest promotional stunt in the history of television. And Eric Ryder, you guessed it right. He did that um, yeah, off mic break. just a few moments ago. You get a car, and you get a car. <laughs> and you get a car. Is that what she did? I, can't, I didn't. Yeah, okay. Interestingly, probably a wonderful, obviously, stunt for her, but Pontiac is no longer around. The company is gone, is is defunct. They gave all their cars away. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I didn't leave. She never paid the bill. That's yeah. In the, in I'll the, get it to you next week. My check's in the mail. And the G6 was, they were probably really, uh, that was one of their last gasps of a model. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I had no idea. Never thought about it. I'm Can't not a car by. person. I don't pay that much attention. Didn't even know Pontiac was gone. Yeah. If you would have asked me, I would not know, not have known that. Interesting. Uh, and another way back historical footnote on September 14th, 1814, Francis Scott Key pens in the Star Spangled Banner. We all knew that. I didn't know. A Dr. William Bean was taken prisoner by the British and was placed on a British ship. Now, Francis Scott Key, being a loyal friend, was successful in negotiating his release. However, they were not allowed to leave until the British bombardment of Fort McHenry was over. Key watched the bombing, and that's when he wrote the Star Spangled Banner. It was reprinted in newspapers, and eventually it was set to a popular English drinking tune called To Anacreon in Heaven. Hmm. Interesting. Amazing. Well, I thought it was, anyhow. Yeah, <laughs> you no, know. that's really interesting. But anyhow, so there's uh, some of our voices in history for today. So um, we're going to come up with uh, Eric and his uh, great interview he had uh, earlier this week. And we're going to be talking, what, to the DOE on litter? Actually, Department of Ecology, absolutely. Uh, Amber Smith, we're going to be talking about litter control and a brand new campaign they're coming out with. So here we go. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of Spotlight on Success. Hi, I'm Eric Krima, your host. So glad to have in studio via Zoom. Actually, we're both via Zoom. Amber Smith, who is the statewide litter prevention coordinator with the Washington State Department of Ecology. Hi, Amber. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, really appreciate your time. And, you know, I was thinking about the state of Washington because I drove a good portion of it over the holiday um, all the way up to a little town called Kettle Falls. So I saw a good breadth of this state. And I, I was reminded about how beautiful this state is and how many different regions there are. Washington is absolutely gorgeous. We are very lucky to live in a state as beautiful as ours, that's for sure. I agree 100%. When you think all the way from the Pacific Ocean to the mountains, and then we have desert, and we have the rolling hills and the Palouse and everything in between, I would imagine that the Department of Ecology has its hands full keeping it all clean and green. Absolutely. Uh, We work really closely with our partners at the Department of Transportation, Um, But we are out there all the time trying to keep up with litter. And as you know, you probably saw some litter out there. It's a a big visible problem, unfortunately, right now. And our two agencies, we're spending around $9 million a year trying to get that litter off the ground. And unfortunately, we can only pick up a small fraction of what ends up there. I imagine it's a a momentous task and one that citizens can help out in. 
Absolutely. And that and that's really the key. I mean, so we've got a lot of people working really hard to address litter in our state. We can only pick up a fraction of it. And the good news is, is that 75% of Washingtonians do the right thing and don't litter. But we need that final 25% to come along with us. We need everybody to do our part. Uh, that's the only way we're going to be able to really get at the root of this problem. You know, the beauty of our state and our success ultimately depends on people choosing not to litter. I 100% agree. And, and actually, it begins really locally, I think. Uh, we we walk our dog every day in our neighborhood. And as we do, um, it's along a fairly busy road. And people throw cans and garbage and things like that out. And we collect them and put them into our recycle bin, you know, after the walk. Uh, because I feel like it, it seems like if there's litter already on the ground, people tend to then think it's okay to litter more. Absolutely. Litter attracts litter. And we did a bunch of research last year um, with people in Washington who admitted to littering. And that's one of the things that they said is that, you know, the biggest reason they litter is that they want to keep their car tidy. They don't want garbage piling up in their car and they don't have a litter bag. Um, they did say if they had a litter bag in their vehicle and had a better system, they would be less likely to litter. But they also said it's, you know, you see so much litter out there. My little bit of litter doesn't make a difference. And in fact, it does. It mm. seems like it's no big deal to toss one little wrapper, but that adds up. Every little bit adds up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one of the reasons I wanted you to have have you come on this edition of uh, Spotlight on Success is to talk about the new program that you're working on. And that's simple as that. Can you explain that a little bit more? I know it's pretty simple, but yeah, I imagine absolutely. it's a bigger job than that. <laughs> Absolutely. So the Simple as That campaign launches on September 12th, next Monday, and it really focuses on commonly littered items on our roadways. And so we're trying to raise awareness about how simple it is to not litter and how and how easy it is to do the right thing. So a big part of the campaign is we are partnering with all the Fred Meyer stores in Washington to give out free car litter bags. So people can go into any Fred Meyer store in the state, go to the customer service counter, ask for their free car litter bag, and um, hopefully that will help change some behaviors. The other big thing we're trying to encourage as part of this campaign is for people to have conversations with their friends, their family, their coworkers. Uh, our research showed that 26% of people who litter said that they would stop if someone close to them asked them to. And so we're trying to encourage those conversations and that positive peer pressure so we can all be working together um, to prevent this litter in the first place. Well, and we've seen it happen in other areas like Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. I mean, I remember when that really that program got started and it was a huge problem. And it still is to a degree, obviously. But but there's definitely much more awareness about why you shouldn't drink and drive. I think the same can be said here. Uh, like you say, just be proactive and talk to friends and family or, or if you see someone, you know, littering, maybe pick it up and nicely say, you know, hey, I'd appreciate if you don't litter. You know, you obviously don't want to get into a big conflict with someone, but uh, I think just sometimes bringing it to someone's attention might make a change. Absolutely. I mean, there's all relationships are unique, but there might be that opportunity to give that positive nudge. And sometimes that's all it takes. Uh, a little more awareness around that, uh, around that issue could really make a big difference. 
because that litter, you know, it affects us all. It's a it's a road safety issue. We've, we have more than 300 traffic crashes a year. This year, we've already had a couple fatalities. Uh, mm. So that litter on our roadways is dangerous. You know, it impacts our environment, wildlife, our economy, our, the well-being of our communities. And so we can all get on the same page uh, to fix this. You know, that's an interesting point. I didn't really think about the safety aspect of it. And and that is so true. Um, as I said, I took this drive across across the state this last holiday. And uh, you're right, there were some huge pieces of, of, of litter basically thrown out, even bags and things that could have easily blown up in front of a windshield or just startled you or you swerved to miss it, you know, not really knowing what it is, and then create an accident. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we have another campaign that we work on that's part of this We Keep Washington Litter Free effort. Uh, it's called Secure Your Load for Safer Roads. And, that, and that's a huge part of the litter problem as well. As simple as that is really focused on those other commonly littered items. But it all it all goes together. There's lots of small daily actions that people can take to prevent litter and have a big impact. But I imagine it's also something that you just sort of get used to doing, not doing, I should say. So if, if you consciously say, OK, you know what, I, I'm going to get this litter bag from Fred Meyer. And that's by the way, that's really cool that they're partnering. Um, but if you can't get to Fred Meyer, if you just have a bag in your car and you start doing it's like any other habit, you do it for, say, 30 days and suddenly it's part of who you are. You just do it anymore. And uh, it's it's such a beautiful state that why not keep it that way? Absolutely. It's all about starting a new habit. And that litter bag can be your first step. You don't want to use the litter bag. That's fine. Just hang on to it. Hang on to your trash until you get to your destination or a convenient stop along the way, like a gas station or a rest area. It's all about, yeah, new new habits, a new routine and uh, helping out our beautiful state. I'd like people to go to the Department of Ecology website. Can you give out that address? Because when I was on there just doing a little research for this interview, I was amazed at how many resources you have on that website. Yeah, lot, lots and lots of resources. Uh, one starting spot uh, you could go to is litterfreewa.org forward slash simple. And that's the, the simple as that campaign page. And from there, you can look at all of our other web pages that have to do with litter. You can look at how much litter we're picking up, how much money we're spending, where that funding comes from, and other tips for living litter-free and helping others do the same. Excellent. So check out that website, learn about all the great things the Department of Ecology is doing, including uh, these most recent campaigns. I, I love the simple as that. It's, it's, it's easy to remember. And it's a primer to basically remember, uh, you know, keep the litter inside your car, people. <laughs> yeah, you would be. Then am- put it away later. Absolutely. You'd be amazed at how much litter is out there. We're actually working on a statewide litter study this year, and we have some preliminary results from that. And we're finding there are more than 24,000 pieces of litter per mile on our urban highways. Amazing. And there's even more on our urban interchanges. It's more like 31,000 pieces of litter per acre. So there's no way we can pick our way out of the problem. Um, you know, in 2022 already, we have off of state highways, we've picked up 816 tons of litter, almost 2 million wow. pounds of litter. And again, that's just a small fraction of the litter that ends up on our roadways. So we're really asking everybody to be part of the solution and doing your part is simple. 
Well, and I mentioned too, it's not just about the sight unsightliness of seeing it on the roadways. A lot of this litter can be toxic and then go to the storm drains, which Absolutely. we all know then ends up in our rivers that flow to the beautiful Puget Sound, for instance. Absolutely. Yeah, some of this litter, you know, most litter is not biodegradable. It does not break down. It would be there forever if it didn't get picked up. It can leach chemicals into the environment. Uh, there are lots and lots of reasons why it's not a good idea to have a bunch of litter on the ground. Now, are there ways that, say, community groups can get involved or even individuals to help in this campaign? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the first thing is those conversations and that positive peer pressure in your circle. Uh, the second is there's a lot of volunteer opportunities for picking up litter. Um, the Department of Transportation, they have an adopt a highway program that people can get involved with. Businesses can sponsor sections of roadway or groups can go out to actually clean. There are also a lot of adopt a highway, adopt a spot, adopt a park groups at a local level where people can get involved in litter pickup as well. So, um, oh, and we have a litter prevention toolkit on our website that people can use. If you've got a newsletter, uh, a website, we have some resources for you to help share some of these campaign messages and tips with, with your audiences. I imagine it's also important to get kids involved, even, you know, they're not at the driving age, but uh, as they progress to that age or just uh, getting them to, to think about as they're growing older, the problem of littering and they can then talk to their friends. I mean, you, you could be walking along a road with your friends, let's say and throw a candy wrapper down or something like that. Doesn't yeah, absolutely. Yeah, kids, it would be great to get kids involved in starting those good habits early. And um, there is a lot of research that shows that younger people do litter more. So um, in our campaign, we're actually, uh, our research shows that we are trying to talk to males 18 to 44 are the most okay. common people to litter on Washington roadways. Um, so, Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Well, I'm, unfortunately, we're out of time, but Amber, I want to say thank you so much for your time and your efforts to keep uh, Washington litter free and just keep this beautiful state looking beautiful. Really appreciate you, your entire team there at the Department of Ecology, the state of Washington. You, you do a great job, and it's programs like this, simple as that, that really help change minds, change habits, and do things for the better. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And that was Amber Smith, Statewide Litter Prevention Coordinator for the Washington State Department of Ecology. Look into simple as that. And tell your friends, tell your family members, hey, join me in not littering. Make a pledge to yourself and uh, make an awareness amongst your group. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of Spotlight on Success. Right back to Voices of Experience. And here we are. We are back. Boys, this, this is what you call a hard start. We're right into it. Yes. I was... <laughs> pondering my <laughs> question to Keith Bacon, and it's going to be a deep question. So I, I had to meditate. Absolutely. This is an important moments. and momentous uh, interview because this is something a lot of people have been waiting a long time for. Yes, including me, because I'm a West Seattleite. Keith, are you there? Yes, uh, and me too. <laughs> right. Well, Keith, I talked a little bit about you at the beginning of the show when I was introducing the subjects that we were uh, going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I mentioned about you is that you started your podcast and uh, the West Seattle Bridge kind of went down 
the same month as you started your podcast. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah. It was March of 2020, and, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty amazing that you did it at that moment. And uh, so you've been really boots on the ground, I think, in West Seattle. We both live in West Seattle, but you are much more into the community with your podcast. And so I wanted to um, you know, just have you on the show and ask you about how do you think uh, West Seattle has fared over the last couple of years in terms of the pandemic and the West Seattle Bridge being down? Yeah, well, thanks again for having me on your show, Paul. Um, and I would say, okay, you know, West Seattle has pulled through. Um, I think that West Seattle has always been a relatively close-knit community with a lot of civic pride, and I feel like those ties were strengthened through both the pandemic and the bridge closure, which happened, you know, kind of at the exact same time. And, uh, you know, with the pandemic lockdown happening around the same time as the bridge closure, there wasn't as much need to leave the uh, quote-unquote island of West Seattle, as some people were calling it. So people were happy and inclined to support local businesses. And for me personally, I discovered a lot about my neighbors and neighborhood just by walking around in that time where there was nowhere else to go and not much else to do. And that's kind of like how the podcast got started. And I also did quite a few episodes of my podcast back in 2020 about all the different pivots that local businesses turn to to survive. And it was really inspiring to see all the creativity and hard work that went into those, those kinds of efforts. Sure. You know, I walked uh, West Seattle, California, Alaska Junction and all that area the last couple of weeks. And I was kind of struck uh, just uh, taking it in is to how many businesses have done pretty well and survived this. And it didn't seem to me that too many businesses went out of business. Now, there are some who did and it's too bad. But by and large, I was pleasantly surprised just doing the assessment before the West Seattle Bridge opened up how well businesses I felt really did during this. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, sadly, we've actually lost a number of businesses recently in the Alaska Junction area, not directly related to a lack of customers of the bridge, but reportedly due to problems with their landlords from unsustainable rent increases or a lack of maintenance or complete redevelopment of a few buildings. Um, but there are some new businesses uh, scheduled to open soon, um, including some restaurants I've read about on the West Seattle blog, like a Camp West, which is going to be a camping themed bar and eatery, uh, and another cool new business that recently opened that you can hear about in my most recent podcast episode is Dojoy Donuts, which recently opened in the Junction, selling very creatively flavored vegan donuts. And uh, in their adjacent space, they also opened up a disco themed houseplant store called Botanic at the Disco. Uh, which is all very West Seattle to my mind and and just shows that people see the promise uh, and the opportunity that is still here in West Seattle. Certainly. Um, Any observations about uh, going forward now? I I talked to some uh, people and I'm surprised that some people are not really enamored with the opening of the West Seattle Bridge. You mentioned about the island mentality that people kind of enjoyed that for um, a period of time and they the community got closer together. And some people are saying, I'm not so sure I want the West Seattle Bridge opened up. Have you heard that? Yeah, I, I have heard that as well. It's, it is going to be really interesting to see, you know, uh, uh, post-post-bridge life, <laughs> what it will be like here. You know, there was some talk about doing some sort of big celebration around the bridge reopening 
maybe opening the bridge to pedestrians and bicyclists and concerts and carnivals and parades and all that kind of stuff, kind of like what happened with the viaduct before they tore it down. But the response from many people was just to skip the celebration and get back on the road. And I think the Seattle Department of Transportation, which has been responsible for reopening the bridge, also put the brakes on all of that to a certain extent. But really, it seemed like a lot of people didn't want a party. They just wanted to get to I-5 or downtown in under an hour again. And, of course, there's also some neighborhoods that overnight became a new thoroughfare uh, for a shortcut or detour off the Duwamish Peninsula. And I think um, a lot of those people will be breathing a huge sigh of relief, (laughs) a nice change from all that car exhaust that they may have been suffering through. You bet. Hey, Keith, we're going to have to leave it there. I appreciate you so much for being flexible and being on the show. That's Keith Bacon. His podcast is always West Seattle. It's very well done, even if you don't live in West Seattle. You should check it out. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. We'll see you soon. All right. Um, so that's it. So how much time do we have before we're out? Like right now? One minute to go. Is that it? All right. So thank you, everybody. I'm just going to skip to the quote of the week. Don't promise when you're happy. Don't reply when you're angry. And don't decide when you're sad. Ziad Abdel Noor. I got that out Okay. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. And we will see you or hear from you, and we'll talk to you next week. This week's One Hit Wonder coming up next. This week's One Hit Wonder was a song written by Michael Chapman and Nikki Chen. The hit single peaked at number four on the Billboard Top 100. From the year 1979, Stumbling In with Chris Norman and Susie Quattro. Our love is alive And so we begin Foolishly laying our hearts on the table Stumbling in Our love is a flame
our love is alive. And so it is.